Hello and welcome to Skywatch Television. I'm Joe Artis Horn. Ladies and gentlemen, as many of you, as I'm sure, are aware by now, Dr. Thomas Horn, my father, passed away October 20 this year. And we just, as a ministry, wanted to slow down a little bit, cool the cameras, so to speak, and take a, a step back and just kind of decompress and talk about, to the best of our capacity over the next couple of weeks, some of the memories, um, some of who the man was behind the camera. Mm -hmm. As a father, as a leader, as a mentor, as my hero. I'm joined today in the studio by my beautiful wife, Catherine, <laughs> both of my siblings, Donna Howell and Allie Anderson, my cousin, Brittany Jackson, and of course, my beautiful mother, <laughs> Miss Juanita Horn. You know, a lot of people that have followed my father's professional career. They're aware of his work at Whispering Ponies Ranch. It's clear that the man authored countless best-selling books. He was in innumerable bodies of work that don't even belong to this ministry. I am, I am the son, and I am astonished still now in the wake of having lost him, the number of people that have sent videos. Mm -hmm. I am serious, I don't know these films. I'd like to see that. I don't right. know what he was starring in that day or what set he was on. It's just, we were his family and we couldn't keep up with <laughs> the man right. in terms of his vision for ministry and the things that he would do to work literally Hours. six to six and a half days a week, yeah. barring his Friday night date with my mom, <laughs> which was a non-negotiable, mm -hmm. always about kingdom work always thinking about the next project and the next thing that he could do to uplift some part of society and often the parts of society that society has overlooked. Mm -hmm. Children of Whispering Ponies Ranch and, and so much more. But today I wanted to talk about some of his early days as a pastor mm. and to get our Skywatch family, which we're going to talk about throughout the next couple of weeks, to get our Skywatch family mm some perspective as to how he started in ministry, because those are things that people didn't see a lot of, Mom. Those were the years that a lot of people who were there never forgot. The pulpiteer, the man on fire, mm -hmm. the guy leading the tabernacle-driven revivals over periods of days and weeks. And <laughs> later, as he became more visible in the public sphere, that was the part that the broader audience throughout the world got to see was the camera version of Dr. Tom, the books, the, the, the documentaries that I've been talking about. But early, early on, Mom, those first years, you know, getting saved, can you recall some of those moments and what it was like to kind of start pastoring your first church and what that might have looked like? <clears throat> You know, I would like to start, I'd like to start with one of the first memories after God saved us from ourselves, because we were on a road of destruction, both of us, and that we agreed on. And I want you to know this set the pace for everything in our future, this one thing that he did. But when God intervened and saved us both and gave us a purpose, one of the first memories I have of my husband was we was doing our prayers at night and I heard him audibly pray, Lord, please make me a better man. Mm -hmm. Please make me a good husband. Please make me a good dad. Help me to do your will. That was his prayer. And when I heard him praying that out loud, and it was not words falling off the end of his mouth, 
these were words that were coming from within his heart. Mm. And he was praying them passionately. Lord, you've got to help me do these things. That set the mood, man, and the pace and the, and the record. Mm-hmm. From that moment forward, I began to pray the same thing. And it's because he put God first mm-hmm. and then his family second. That's right. And was diligent every day of his life as a young as a young pastor, as a young minister, dedicated. Yeah. Never. And even in our family vacations, and you guys can all attest to this, <laughs> you talk about a man that's on a mission, because we would take different family members, and sometimes all of us would just go for a vacation. But every day, he would get up. Before we got to get up and go have breakfast down on the wherever we're at, he had already spent three hours at his computer that's right. doing what he does for ministry, Letting the world know yep. what's going on. That is who my husband is. That is who he was right. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I will tell you one thing that will make you chuckle. He did go to the post office in his bare feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's who he was. That's the Arizona desert rat in him. I was just to tease him about that because he never got too warm. How, how long had you guys been married for our family members at home before... You heard him talking about, I, I think I want a pastor. I think I'm being called into the ministry. Well, like I said. I know it was very early on. It and, was. and quick side caveat, my dad was always younger than people thought he was because mm-hmm. of his intellect. Yeah. And he would always tell us kids, right, Allie? Yeah. Remember this? He would say, don't tell anybody how young I am. Yeah. yeah. Because as soon as they figure it out, they might not respect me to learn that I'm 10 years younger than the senior board member. But right. he was a titan. Yeah, he was. He just got lost in the Bible. His brain was... This was way before the internet. Yeah, right. You know, his library of books was his... You know, on this earth was his prized series of possessions, was his encyclopedias and his historical books. I have cassette tapes of him preaching Mm -hmm. in the 80s on things like transhumanism. Mm -hmm. He's warning people, this is going to be a national conversation. Anyway, getting ahead of myself, the Mm -hmm. point is... Like you said, we'd be somewhere on vacation. Perhaps we're at a big theme park. And us kids were, but you got to wait. Because mm-hmm. dad's up at 4 a.m. and he's updating the websites. And he's writing an article. And then yeah. when it posts and then he knows it's done, now you can go right. have fun and ride the roller coaster. Right. But how, how early on in your life did you hear him start talking about it's time to pastor? Let's get involved in ministry. Well, we gave our hearts to the Lord right about the time Allie was about 18 months old. And then it was shortly after that. It was just it was called in right away. Just immediately. Ministry. Because when he gave it, he gave it all. Yeah. yeah. It was no wasting any time. <laughs> he just jumped in and he never looked back. So he was a really young man when he started pastoring his first churches. Yes. And we, we don't have time to recap like all of the churches and all the tenures and all of that. But guys, jump in on this. I, I recall my perception of the big tent revivals from the 70s. Mm-hmm. You guys remember this? Mm-hmm. And they had these giant speakers, and you'd be howling into the microphone so loud the speakers are breaking, and it's got that crackly 1970s. <laughs> why didn't PV do a better job with their system? But it's not to blame. It's the guy that doesn't mix the sound. Anyway, but loud. And, I, and I'm serious. Walking into these giant tents where there's standing room only, and the thing is just packed yeah. completely out. And Dad was like a tsunami on stage. Yes. And I know this is totally, you know, he's impartial. It's the boy. Of course, he's going to recall that his dad was larger than life. But it, it wasn't just me. I recall oh. pastor after pastor after. The first time I heard the word pulpiteer. 
-hmm. was from another <laughs> pastor that said, Tom Horn is the greatest pulpiteer I have ever heard. Yeah. He just got on this anointed rhythm. Yeah. yeah. And I should say that one of the first churches he pastored, Mom, was one of these that had the Southern Gospel Choir mm -hmm. and the organ. Yeah. And he called it the A-man section. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he cut his teeth very early on in his 20s as a pastor. Now, you can correct me on these dates and things. And I recall him telling this story. He would start to preach, and he would open the Word of God, and he would begin to deliver the, the, the message for the week, and the, the organ, and somebody would go, mm-hmm. And he would take a sec to kind of get back into his notes. I, I'm not sure why I'm being stunned by this interruption <laughs> that's going on. And he said it didn't take him but one or two sermons before he caught on to what they were doing. Uh -huh. And then he almost started banking on it. <laughs> it became a part of his tempo. Yeah. But that never, that never left him. So he'd be, he'd be on it, he'd be on it. And then here comes the organ and the amen section and he would go to second gear. Yeah. And by the, end, by the end, it's standing room only and nobody's been invited to stand. This is just happening organically. Yeah. Yeah. Then they would get to the altar call and there's nobody in the seats. Yeah. The whole right. place, drug addicts, people that are giving them yeah. porn yeah. addicts and gangsters and police officers. And a gangs. lot of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. His ministry was never this mellow, like the way we picture church. Like there were, there were always spiritual warfare going on. There were people mm -hmm. coming in literally possessed yeah. and that's, that, that's being cast out. I mean, huge people being delivered from major things. Like his, his ministry, it took on a unique turn from early, early on, you know. No, I know what you mean. Like some of the first books that he wrote we're on spiritual, spiritual warfare, warfare, the invisible right, invasion. Right. And a little yeah. bit of history for those that mm -hmm. are curious about this type of thing. Way back before his very first book that would become a bestseller, he started doing Coast to Coast with Art Bell. Who is this Tom Horn guy? This is totally crazy. And at first, a lot of secular audiences were inviting my dad on the show, Vicki Anderson, <laughs> for the same reasons you probably get invites. They don't subscribe to your worldview at all. They just want the entertainment of the fact that you do believe right. this nonsense from the Bible. It's an entertainment thing. This guy actually believes in a spiritual dimension. Of course we're going to have this guy on, right? But my dad unabashedly and unashamedly went forth and he preached the supernatural and the spiritual parts of the Bible. And from the very early onset of his pastoral ministry, Ali, as you correctly assert, God would almost plant him in these communities after the honeymoon wore off. So you're the new pastor and you put on your new suit and God's getting ready to move. <laughs> then all of a sudden the encounters would begin. Mm -hmm. People would call him in the middle of the night, Pastor Tom, I don't know what I've done. We were playing with a Ouija board and now there's this horned thing pounding on the window. And I mean screaming yeah. in literal terror. Yeah. There is a yeah. thing beating on the front door. This, this woman is like in her late teens and her daughter's very young, like a single mom didn't know what they, try, trying to talk to grandma who they missed very much or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And he's this young pastor. Yeah. And his initial reaction was to devolt to the name of Jesus Christ because mm -hmm. he mm -hmm. hadn't been through formal divinical training on exorcism yet. Right. <laughs> right. But that was how he cut his mm -hmm. teeth was these communities that he would learn later on through different mayorships that would approach him and say, you need to know about the history of this town. It's been literally committed to being portals for the demonic. Mm -hmm. Now, I get it. That just sounds like total nonsense if you're not a believer in the supernatural realm. But this is what happened to my father in his 20s. Mayorships and people in law enforcement would come to him and say, Tom, you have to know there's a history here. And then they would literally roll out the city blueprints and say, mm -hmm. I want you to know that this group has committed this town to the forces of Lucifer. 
And I want to show you, they've drawn out these portals where they congregate and invite these spirits to come and have their way with the young people of this community. So my dad went, you know, from, you know, <laughs> yeah. Bible college, and he's got his yeah. brand new suit, and Lord, we're going to see big things. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> what just happened? Maybe. Yeah. Give me a decade first, right? But he was so fearless about it. He was just, just moved straight into it. He never hesitated. Well, and then some of those things from his history never left him either. That's why he was able to just boldly go where no man had gone before with his books and his documentaries mm -hmm. and his presentations and his virtual conferences and everything that he did and everything that he stood for. He's like, is it weird? Okay, cool. Is it something <laughs> nobody else will touch with a 10-foot pole in the yeah. church? Good. Yeah. Is it something yeah. that means somebody's getting delivered? Good. That's yeah. what we're teaching on. And I mean, Absolutely. he took that so stopped. seriously yeah. and he never stopped. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't have time in this program to, to cover it all, but like one of his siblings would have night terrors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, I point at Vicki Anderson because she's in audience today and she just knows so much about these types of things. Mm -hmm. But one of his siblings was tormented as a child with these night visitations long before there were televised depictions of what we now know to be an alien gray. Right. And she would write this out on a paper. These are the things that are coming for me. And they were bulbous headed things with giant black eyes. I mean, you gotta realize this is TV in the early 50s. There's no, there's no reference. I mean, you're talking about Roy Rogers and boy howdy cowboys and puppet shows. There's no modern depiction of what an alien gray is. And this is what she would draw out. It confused him as a young man because his mother was a woman of faith, mm -hmm. and we don't have time to get into the theology of how all of this took place, but it was, it was just a sampling of watching his sister scream in terror mm -hmm. at the young age of six, seven, eight, with these visitations that she would recite were happening. He grew up exactly as Donna described. Whatever the church is not talking about, mm -hmm. whatever yeah. these theological areas of taboo is, whatever areas that somebody yeah. else won't, that became his pastor. That's why I have tapes and cassette tapes of some of the most fiery sermons ever still alive on cassette tape that I have digitally archived. Yes. Thank you, Joe. Yes. And some of them are going to be on Rescue Us. Some of those snapshots, yes, yep. Brittany, when you guys see Rescue Us, the television series next year, you are going to see a lot more of my father and mm. some of the excerpts because we do a bit of a true E. Hollywood-esque style reveal yeah. on his life. And we share some of those little excerpts, but it's just a taste. It might be th three minutes total. And... For those who are at home, our Skywatch family that we're going to talk mm -hmm. about at some point over the next couple of weeks, who are wondering, he has now said there's a digital archive. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> I have to handle this respectfully because not every sermon my dad ever preached was one that he yearned to see mass distributed because he worried about dates. You know, if he's talking in the 90s about, you know, Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton, he, he just, he wouldn't want for something to be dated or archaic or not relevant. But as a family, we always felt different. And there are tons of them that if you did not realize these were from the 70s and 80s, you were thinking these were a podcast today, you would be wondering who this person is mm. who is yeah. seeing what is right <laughs> around the corner right now because they were so timeless. prophetic. Mm -hmm. And the timeless. Holy Spirit still, the goose pimples yes. on the back oh, of your yeah. neck and just yeah. blown away at the raw energy. And I will say that... If you've only seen the television version of my dad, I said this, didn't I? Yeah. My staffer here, I said this. I said, he's explosive on TV, mm -hmm. 
He's explosive, but if you didn't see him in the 70s, 80s, <laughs> you're seeing a docile, mm -hmm. more restrained version of Dr. Thomas Horn. That's right. Yeah, that's because very true. Because it was just raw fire in the 80s. Because we've had family friends that went to church with him, and that's why they're family friends of you guys for the last eons, because they went to church with him, and they remembered his preaching, and they keep saying, you know, we really miss Tom Horn's yeah. preaching, because, man, if he pastored a church again, we'd be there, because yeah. they loved how he preached. We, we asked him several times about doing something with the cassette tapes, and his feeling was, let's just keep him in the closet, <laughs> and he would always say things like, you know this, Mom, he would say things like, they're dated, Yeah. and we would disagree, and... <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm navigating that now. Mm -hmm. There could come a day where there is some kind of a reveal on an archive of some of the greatest thunder that's ever been. W would you guys, I mean, just, just a quick organic poll. Would that be something that would fascinate you? Allie, is there a particular memory? We've been talking about the career of Tom Horn and so much of the visible sides of what our father did in ministry. We talked a little bit about early days as a pastor and what it was like to get started and how he cut his teeth on spiritual warfare. But as a father, mm -hmm. again, you just can't know on television how my siblings and I, mm -hmm. when I say he was our literal hero, growing up was the moral compass, mm -hmm. solid rock. You knew if dad was around, it's okay, whatever it is. <laughs> dad could do anything. Dad could fix anything. Dad could... We didn't live in any fear at all of spiritual things. Dad's here. What's the point, right? <laughs> we had such a great father that as we visit with those who have had troubled homes and a lot of the kids that we serve, mm -hmm. put it into a different perspective because I realize many of our Skywatch family mm -hmm. maybe didn't have that growing yeah. up. So we're not, we're not sharing this to trouble anyone further with you know a reality that maybe wasn't something you had the benefit of sharing in. We're just... It's important to us to be able to reveal the nitty-gritty about what kind of a father he was and to make sure that the world knows that he also killed that department as well. Is there a memory or a particular event that stands out to you? And I know that's impossible asking you to go Yeah. No, I mean, I came with a list because I didn't know which. But as you were talking, I was remembering this one time really early on because before they were pastors, they were youth pastors for just a short period of time while he was putting himself through Bible school. And so he's putting himself through Bible school. He's working full-time, and he's being a youth pastor. And there were these times <laughs> where, you know, dad's studying, and he's doing his homework. He's uh -huh. doing his schoolwork, you know, which was correspondence back then because there wasn't any yeah. Internet. And um, I just remember him coming home from work and doing that. But I remember this one night where... Um, I don't know why this one came to mind while you were talking about his early pastoring years, but I, I was very little. And... Um, so I had taken my Monopoly money and put it in the offering at church because <laughs> I just found it at, at home and I thought it was money. So I took it and, and just remember like him coming over to me after church. And I mean, I'm little, like you might not have been born yet. Um, and he, he, he sits me on his lap and he's like, he always called me Althea when I was little. I wasn't Allie till I was 11. And so he's like, come here, Althea, I want to talk to you. So he puts me on his lap and he's, you know, did you put this in the offering and I, for a minute, I thought I was in trouble, but I didn't understand why, because we're supposed to put money in the offering, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's, he just gave me this big hug, and he's like, it's okay. Jesus said you can keep that. <laughs> so, oh, I don't perfect. know. Yeah. Yeah. That was, 
<laughs> that I was one thing that just came to mind. I have this memory from when I'm like four or five. You guys can help me out if that's not the right age, but like four or five years old. And in Oregon, fireworks are not allowed to go off the ground. Oh. So his grand finale firework this year was just this weird thing that it like spun around and then a panda crawled up a ladder and it blew up a red ball. Right? <laughs> we, we don't know of why course. that was the firework, but, but in Oregon, nothing's allowed to go off the ground. That was a big they deal. Had a, they had a six-foot cap. Yeah. You can't have any fireworks that go higher than six feet. <laughs> and so most families would drive to Washington and then illegally smuggle, <laughs> you know. And the cops would go, Tsh. I didn't see that. <laughs> go ahead. So this was the big deal grand finale firework, and I'm so little. The grand finale, for context, is the one that you save to the end. To the very last one. And so it blew up this ball. I don't know how a firework blows up a ball, but it did. And Dad, he's so excited about it. He runs over after the firework has stopped spinning and sparking. And he, he, he was intending to say, look, Donnelly, it's a happy little ball. And he was going to pull it off and give it to me. Yeah. But instead, because he didn't know it was hot, he goes, look, Donnelly, it's a happy little burning ball. <laughs> I had that happy little burning ball until the house fire took it a few years ago. But I kept that little burning ball. <laughs> Every fireworks after that. Our family always joked about the happy little burning ball. Remember the little burning ball? The happy little burning ball. <laughs> but that memory will never go away. I remember this one year for Christmas. Um, and this surprised me. Here's something that people don't know about Dad. He was a brilliant musician. Mm -hmm. And he could play anything. And even if he uh -huh. hadn't played it before, I wonder how you play this 30 minutes later he's playing a song. He, and he could write lyrics. I mean, he was yeah. so good. Even yeah. when his hand was That's messed good. up, he played bass yep. for you for quite yep. a while. He was just a really good musician. But I got this organ for Christmas when I was nine. And it's one of these big old school church style organs with the big wooden frame. And there's two keyboards and some little thingies that flip up and down. Looking back, I didn't even know how to use most of it. Dad, um, dad. Come here, Althea, I'll show you how to play this. So, you know, you got this wide piano bench, and he sat next to me, and he just starts playing it. And I didn't know he knew how to play an organ, but he knew how to play the whole thing, not like just on the bottom keyboard. He's doing stuff on the bottom keyboard, and then he's hitting things on the top, and he's changing the sounds and singing a song all the time. <laughs> and he did two songs. He just sat there and showed me two songs and was kind of just showing me how it worked. But I'm just sitting here going... I didn't even know you knew how to do this, and now here you are just like doing the whole thing, both of the keyboards and all the little settings, and he did two songs. That was, a, that was interesting, and he was just so brilliant with that kind of thing. His missing fingers because of the cookie factory, which is yeah. another story, but he was in a cookie factory accident with a big Hobart mixer that ended up taking two of his fingers, so he was like this mm. on the on his left hand. <laughs> and so typing, you're, you're mentioning these, how he's got all these things going on. <laughs> this is true. fast forward, like, you know, he's showing me one day, he's like, Donna, I need you to learn to type for me. I was like 13. He's like, I need you to learn to type for me so that I can dictate and you can type, which lasted all of like, one chapter of a book. And he's like, never mind, that doesn't work for me. But <laughs> I would watch him type and he would go like this. Yep. I mean, so yep. slow because he only had those fingers. But, but our, our family also did not do the traditional red Santa at Christmas. Uh, we did this other thing. It was this blue character who was kind of like the ruler of the North Pole. It was just more <laughs> or less, it was a joke, if nothing else. It was but, a total what they would call meme now. We right. were trolling yeah, exactly. ourselves before the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the thing. Right. He did have the white Santa gloves. 
suit was blue, <laughs> not Santa, but the white Santa gloves he had. And because of his oh. missing fingers, he would have a kid on his lap and two fingers would just be <laughs> it was The glove the, is hollow, see? <laughs> the glove was so hollow. And it was the fun. I mean, we would crack one North Pole joke after another. Remember, Dad himself yeah. used to joke about that. It was so funny. Yeah. Every That's Christmas, the, the two fingers were just... Well, he'd always play it up to the too with the grandkids because, you know, the grandkids would finally get to an age where, you know, they yeah. started noticing, right. hey, Grandpa's hands don't look like my hands. What's what's up? And then he totally loved playing with that. Uh -huh. He's like, you pulled them off. And, you know, he'd be a little... <laughs> well, you know, you know the it was little, hilarious. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. You know the little game where you take like and you, you like you hide one and finger then... and you pretend that you're pulling it off or whatever? You'd right. Like, Pull it I off like that and yeah, your thumb or something, and then it's Yeah, like... you pull your thumb off. Well, he would do that, but because he literally had no finger. Every right. every grandbaby at about the age of three, he would get with that. Three to four, He'd yeah. Go, oh. <laughs> and, and then they would... <clears throat> They'd be crawling. They'd be, like, They're thinking that, that it's curled back. Yeah. Looking There's, under things. Yeah. And... He loves playing with that, though. Because the kids are thinking, they've seen it before, they think that the finger yeah, is yeah. curled down, so they're looking on the other yeah. side, so they bend his hand back, and they're like, oh, it's really gone. It's really gone. <laughs> he also bragged that he had the world's smallest peace sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the world's smallest I can't even mimic sign. it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to continue this conversation next week. We were never going to get it all in <laughs> just today. So for everybody here in studio... I'm Joe Artis Horn. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. We're going to continue this discussion next week. Thank you for joining us.
home.